Well, good morning. Just in case you don't know who I am, uh, I snuck in this morning, asked Shane if I could preach, and uh, he was like, I guess. I'm just kidding. I am, my name is Brian Irby. I am the family ministries pastor here at Faith Community Church, uh, and I'm very thankful to be able to open the Word of God with you guys today. Uh, this is such a blessing uh, and, and a terrifying thing. If you will open with me to Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, this morning we're going to talk about the path to apostasy that passes through the church. Now this is a big, a big, these are some big verses, but I feel like as Shane was preaching through Matthew 7, I just kept thinking about this. As he was, Matthew 7 was such a wonderful time here at the church as Shane was preaching through the end of the Sermon on the Mount uh, and all the, the wonderful uh, uh, instructions of our Lord and the warnings that came with every instruction. And I feel like Hebrews 6 does the same thing for us as children of God, for any of us sitting here in these seats this morning in the church. Very quickly, to give you a little bit of context of of Hebrews as a whole, this is some of the greatest New Testament writing on the Old Testament that we have. In fact, Hebrews is kind of like a divine commentary by God showing us what he meant in the Old Testament. It's, It's the Lord himself giving an exposition of the Old Testament, especially Leviticus, and and revealing to us many truths that I don't think any of us would have discerned on our own. But he decided that these were the treasures that the church needed to hear and to understand so that we could not only rightly interpret the old, but to see how all of this points to Christ and to see the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He shows how the Old Testament foreshadows Christ, reveals aspects of his character and of his work, Now, we never have the freedom to go back to the Old Testament and use our own imaginations and our own lack of revelation to try to find mysterious links to Jesus and see Jesus in the narratives and Jesus in the poems and Jesus in the prophecies and pictures of Jesus everywhere. People try to do that. That's not our job. Our job is to listen to what the Lord says about his word when he interprets the Old Testament and to see Christ where he tells us Christ is there. And here we have God interpreting his own word with his own infallible, inerrant, inspired explanations, and this blows our little minds. But that's what Hebrews is all about. Hebrews is an awesome book. You should read the whole thing. Uh, This is a wonderful, wonderful letter written to the church. Now, most likely this is written to a church of many Jewish congregants, of maybe all Jewish congregants. There's a lot of Old Testament Jewish uh, uh, sacrificial uh, religious things that are in there, Uh, and, and, and what he's doing is he's going... He's telling this church, he's interpreting for this church the, the purpose behind all that God uh, gave to Israel in the Mosaic covenant and the laws and the rituals and things like that. The other thing is this church is obviously going through suffering because that's addressed a few times in the book of Hebrews. And he talks about the suffering, the suffering that they have already uh, gone through, the suffering that they're currently facing. And it's a reminder for them to hold fast the faith to, to the end, to persevere to the end, uh, to, to remember the things that we just sang about. So it's instructing Jewish believers uh, both to endure, to persevere, but to also in the process not to return back to Old Testament rituals and sacrifices and things like that because the substance has come. He's basically saying all of those things were a shadow of the substance, which is Christ, and Christ has come. The old covenant pointed to the new covenant. The new covenant has been fulfilled in Christ, and the old covenant has now become obsolete. Not that the words of God have become obsolete, but Christ has fulfilled Many of the things that Leviticus proclaimed, many of the things that the the Mosaic Covenant pointed forward to, and now Christ is the better sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect king of peace. He is the perfect author of our faith who perfects our faith, and he is the author of the perfect covenant, the new covenant, the Messiah, God himself, Jesus Christ. This whole book is about the prominence and the preeminence of Christ in all things. Jesus Christ is better than any angelic being. Jesus Christ is better than all the things prescribed in the Old Testament. In fact, all that pointed to the better revelation of Jesus Christ. He is better. He is greater. And also in the book of Hebrews, you have a singular message of salvation that the author shows throughout the book that salvation always has been from Adam until the, the return of Christ, salvation has always been by faith alone. By faith alone in Jesus Christ. 
The book is replete, replete with instructions and warnings for everyone in the church to live in submission and obedience to him. Uh, there are uh, warnings and instructions to live in persevering love to the very end. And it's a book scattered with very serious and sobering warnings throughout uh, the letter uh, that remind us of the dangers of worldliness, the peril of practicing sin, and the terror of drifting away from the faith that you have heard and experienced here in the church. In fact, that's how the book began. The, the, the letter begins in chapter 1 with Jesus being better and greater than all angelic beings, than all created beings. And then right at the beginning of chapter 2, after showing how wonderful and great and magnificent Christ is, the very first thing he says in chapter 2 is, for this reason, understanding who Christ is, we must pay closer attention. In other words, we're not paying close enough attention. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Why? so that we do not drift away from it. And he goes on to say, how will we escape if we neglect this great salvation? So that's, that's what we're here for this morning, to pay even closer attention to the things that you have heard, the things that I have heard, the things that we know from his word, to make sure that no one sitting in here drifts away from the truths that you know and that you have heard. This is for all of us. It's for all of us. Hebrews 2, 3, 6, 10, 12 have very strong warnings for people that are sitting in the church. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those warnings in Hebrews 6. And like I said, I thought this would be a great place to, to go after hearing from Matthew 7. You know, in Matthew seven thirteen, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he instructs us and says, enter through the narrow gate for the gate, and then here's the warning, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many who, uh, are there are many who enter through it. So there's a warning. You, there's a wide way, a broad way, it leads directly to destruction, and most people are on that path. But then he instructs us and says, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Same thing, he goes on in, in verse 18, to say a tree cannot produce bad fruit. Nor can, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's the warning. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he says, so you will know them by their fruits. In verse 21, Jesus says, here's the instruction. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. So there's what he instructs us to do. Don't just proclaim his name. Live in submission and obedience to him. Those who, those who are his and profess to be his are, are proven by their obedience to him, their submission to him, their following after him. He says, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There it is. It's about what we practice, what we do. What we proclaim is, is proven by the life that we live. And then in verse 24, he says the same thing at the very end. Therefore, in light of all of this, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, those who hear and do, they may be compared to the wise man who built his house on the rock. But then he goes on to say in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he will be like the foolish man who builds his house in the sand. The rain comes, the floods come, the winds come, they slam against the house, and great was its fall. Christ said over and over the same thing at the very end. Those who are mine, listen and obey. Those who are mine, listen and submit. Those who are mine, listen and follow me. Those who say they are mine and do not obey, do not submit, do not follow me, do not act on their convictions, do not live in a way that glorifies me, those are not mine. And in the end, there will be a separation. In the end, there will be a judgment. But we're not there yet. We're not at the end, right? You're not at the end. I'm not at the end. We're in the middle. And so today is the day of warning, the day of repentance, the day of salvation. Today is the day we need to read what Hebrews 6 says and take it to heart so that we don't come to the end and we're one of the many in all of those different examples that the Lord just proclaimed. So read with me Hebrews 6. We'll read 4 through 8 and we're going to look specifically at verses 4 through 6. But Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 says this. He says, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God 
and tasted the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if the ground yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless, close to being burned, I'm sorry, close to being cursed and ends up being burned. Like I said, those are heavy Heavy words and sobering words, but words we need to hear, that I need to hear and you need to hear. Everyone in this room needs to hear. Now, if you look at the context of what's going on here, the close context, basically, and remember, context is king. This helps us understand what's going on. These verses also, by the way, are taken by many to say many things that are not true of the Lord or his word or of eternal life. So just remember that. Always read in the context of the whole, and especially in the context of what's happening. But if you look right before that in Hebrews 5, you see the author talking to this church. He's talking to the church. He started telling about Melchizedek, the king of Salem. He starts pointing to the fact that Melchizedek is is a type of Christ, points forward to Christ. Again, one of those Old Testament truths that's mind-blowing that we see expounded for us here. And he says, concerning him, this Melchizedek, uh, whose story is told in Genesis 14, and if that's all we had... We would never have put this together. And then Psalm 110 refers back to him and, 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 and begins to expound, Psalm expounds on Hebrew, uh, Genesis and talks about this Melchizedek that, that points forward to the Messiah. But here, the author of Hebrews says, all of that was to remind you of Christ, to give you a picture of Christ. Again, not something you can discern on your own, not something I could discern on my own, something that God expounded to us through his word, which is mind-blowing. But he says, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain why. He says, because you have become dull of hearing. It's not because they're complicated truths. They're they're given to us right here. Uh, But he's saying what what has happened is they've become uh, sluggish or lazy. They're not listening to the word uh, like they were at one point. And so now things like this, like what he's about to explain, are hard for them to understand. He says in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So these people have been sitting in the church long enough that they should be able to to, to actually teach what he's teaching them and understand it enough to be able to teach others. But he says, you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. So they've obviously been hearing long enough. I don't know how long. And this is not a brand new church. And there's some sound theology happening in this church enough that the author would say, hey, you should be able to teach others at this point. Uh, they're, they're, they're scripturally full, if you want to say it that way. But there's something missing. There's something wrong. Full of the scripture. They're full of truth. They got good doctrine, but something's wrong. Verse 13, he says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to. It just means he has no experience with. He has no trial that's put it to practice. There's no used knowledge or used skill here that comes with the word. He's unacquainted with the word. He says he's not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Now, again, infancy here is I don't think he's talking about someone that's born, just barely been born again. He's new in the faith. He's infant in his holiness, in righteousness, in wisdom, and in discernment. They've heard the truth for a long time, but they're still living like, like spiritual babies because of something that's missing. And then I think he discloses what's missing right here in verse 14. He says, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice, that's repeated exercise, repeated use. This is a repeated practicing of righteousness and holiness and submission to the truth of God that, that leads to maturity, which is Christ-like character, Christ-like understanding. He says, because of, of uh, practice, the mature have their senses trained, their understanding disciplined, their understanding exercised, their understanding strengthened by the practice of submitting to God so that they're able to discern, that means separate, segregate, it means to discriminate between good and evil. So in other words, to have discernment takes practiced holiness, and you cannot have wisdom and discernment to understand what the Word of God says if you're not living in obedience and submission to what the Word of God says. And we can all do that, right? It's easy to come to church, but, oh, it's so good. Pastor Shane knocked it out of the park this morning. That was convicting. Oh, man. I love 
expositional, reformed, doctrinally sound, deep theological truth coming from the word of God. Then you walk out the door and nothing changes in your mind, in your speech, in your actions, in the way that you treat your wife and your children, your employees, the way you work, the way that you live your life. To have good, deep, sound, solid truth and then not to submit in obedience to it, be broken by it, and your life changed because of, of, of what you've been exposed to, that is a terrifying place to be because we're gonna be accountable for every word we heard and everything that we knew and to have some amount of discernment and to sit under good preaching and then to do nothing about it when we leave this room, that is terrifying. And that's what these verses are for. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings of Christ. Now, again, this is not leaving behind the first doctrines. We will never leave the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. In fact, Paul, when he came to Corinth, he said, that's all I preached, Christ and Christ crucified. It's not like that's a, a, a little truth. And it's like, all right, got that. Let's move on into some deep stuff. I think what he's saying is leaving aside all of this understanding that you have, that you think may be helpful, but isn't leading to practice maturity and, and obedience and submission to the word, I mean, you gotta stop that. He says, we let us press on to maturity. And again, if maturity comes through practiced holiness, then it's let's put to practice the things that we know to be true. And let's start living the way that Christ has called us to live so that what happens in Hebrews 4 through 6 does not happen to us. To press on to maturity is be driven by, moved by, carried along. We're heading towards Christ's likeness. He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instruction of washing, laying on of hands, a resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Those aren't small doctrines, guys. It's not like, again, like, oh, those are the baby doctrines. Let's move on to something deeper. That's not what he's saying. He's like, you got the laws, you got the rituals, you got the ceremonial stuff, all that. That's great. That's a shadow of Christ. Look at Christ. Listen to Christ. Submit to Christ. Leave the shadow behind and head into the substance. He is our Messiah. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Master. We do all He calls us to do. And He says, and we will do this if God permits. That's, that's, that's huge. We will do this. We as a church, we will do this. First thing, we'll do it because God declares it must happen. All those that he, he, he chooses, all those he calls, he perfects. He makes them into the image of Christ. There is, no, there is no quasi-Christian. There's no two routes for the Christian, the one that looks like Christ and the other one that looks really bad, but one day ends up in heaven. All those who are born again, he will sanctify. He will continue to sanctify and make into the image of his son until he glorifies them. That's the path. That's the path we're all on as children of God. And we will. We will be sanctified. We will be glorified. If he permits, this is a conditional adverb here. It says it's in the realm of possibility. If, if permitted, if allowed, if inclined. And that you need to listen to. Our souls and our will and our ability to repent, our ability to submit to God, our ability to follow him and our ability to persevere to the end, all of this lies in the hands and the mind and the will of God. It doesn't mean you're hopeless and helpless. You have him. But on your own, it is impossible. Listen to him. Take his word seriously. Cling to him. Do not play with sin and do not take his word lightly. That's the warning we get from this. Every addict believes he can stop when he wants. Every slave of sin believes he can repent when he wants. If you think that you have a control of your sin, it's not that big a deal, and one day you'll take it seriously and you'll put it off, or you don't think God's gonna take it seriously when you see him face to face, you are enslaved. That is not strength, that is enslavement. Make sure you understand that. Many times, because of the deceitfulness of sin, we think our playing with sin is strength. And we call people that are striving for holiness, we think they're weak or legalistic. There is legalism out there. And maybe some of the people you're looking at are legalistic. But many of the people you're looking at may be holy, maybe striving for sanctified life with Jesus Christ, maybe submitting their will and their minds and their desires to him because they love him. And you think it's weakness while you're enslaved to your desires, enslaved to your wants and the things that you think you need in this life. 
don't ever think you have control of your sin because what you forget is God is the one that controls faith, belief, and repentance. We don't play with sin and we don't play with God. Even Nicodemus heard this from, from Jesus in John 3. This is Jesus answered Nicodemus who would have known the word very well, taught the word. He was, he was a Pharisee uh, in, in, in the Jewish religion. He said, truly I say to you, to Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you know. Doesn't matter if you've got great theology and you've been to church your whole life. If you're not born uh, uh, of the water and the spirit, then you cannot enter heaven. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say you must be born again or born from above. And then listen to this. This is important. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes and where it's going. So just like the wind, he says, so is everyone born of the spirit. Don't tread lightly. Sin is dangerous. The world system around you is insidious. And if you believe you can play around with your sin, that you're easily going to be able to discern the dangers by your own understanding, and you're going to be able to avoid the hardening of your own heart, then you're well on the path already to forsaking the Lord Jesus Christ. Because any child of God knows sin is deceitful. I don't want to go near that stuff. And any child of God knows that my heart can be hardened by the neglect of his word and the practicing of sin, and I don't ever want to be close to that. I want to stay as close to Christ and as close to holiness as possible. And you're always going to be fighting sin. You're always going to be fighting sin. You're never going to be holy and perfect in the sense of practiced holiness in this life. Christ makes you perfect and he's perfecting you to the day that you see him. But until that day, we fight, right? We fight. And when we fall, we, we repent, we get back up and we run towards him. That's what Christians do. But don't play. The path of apostasy always passes through the church. And these verses are a sobering and terrifying uh, reminder for anyone who hears them. For those sitting around with a divided mind with one foot in the culture and one foot in the church, these are a very loud warning. For those that are playing with sin and think that you have a control of it, this should be a deafening alarm. This is you. For those who truly desire holiness, for those who truly are striving to live in faithfulness, these still... These still are the voice of God warning us of the dangers of sin. So listen and obey. Believe what he says that reminds us to cling to holiness, to stay close to Jesus Christ, to always live as he is Lord in your life and making no provision for the flesh and his lusts. So Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. The first part of this warning is do not neglect his revelation. Do not neglect his revelation. This is the first thing that we can learn from these verses. He says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the ages to come. So we're describing a group of people here who have been exposed to many, many wonderful things. These are five characteristics of people here that may be heading towards apostasy while they sit in the chairs of the church. They're found in every church. They're with us here today. And the message is this. Listen to his word today. Listen to this warning today. Today, today, today is the day of repentance. And today is the day of salvation. This day is the day that God has ordained for you to repent and to believe in him. This warning actually begins, I'm reading in the NASB, if you have in the ESV, you can see it, it actually starts with, it is impossible. And that's how how this begins, it says, it is impossible. And then he says, for those who have been enlightened, for those, and it goes into all that. But it's a good place to start, to remember, this, it is impossible for these people that we're about to talk about to do something. And there's five parallel clauses that connect together to show you the group we're talking about. And the first characteristic of those who are passing through the church on their way to apostasy are those who have been enlightened. Those who have been enlightened. He says, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened. It means they've been shined upon. They've been illumined. They were allowed to see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ by God for some amount of time. Just like the people who saw Jesus with their own eyes, heard his audible voice, were in the presence of him when he did many miracles and heard his truth come from his own mouth, they have been able to see and to partake of truth. You too 
me. We can hear the word of God. We can believe that it speaks truth. We can have joy in the blessings and the promises it proclaims. We can sing all those songs we just sang about heaven and be like, yes, I'm bound, bound for the promised land. But you know biblically that there are many who saw many things, heard God's audible voice from Mount Sinai, walked with God in the garden, garden and then Cain slew Abel, right? The, 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 the first generation of the Israelites that heard God speak from the mountain, watched the Red Sea part, saw all the miracles in Egypt, watched him feed them from bread out of heaven and meat out of heaven and water out of rocks for 40 years. They were all killed in the desert for their unbelief. There's many who have heard truth, many who have been enlightened, illumined, seen the evidences of God, seen the works of God, and then turned away, fell away. Do not think too highly of yourself. Anyone can see the truths of God and can turn away. Anyone other than his children in John 1, 9 through 13, it says, The true light which gives light to everyone came into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. Speaking of Jesus Christ, yet the world did not know him. The one who gives light, the one who made all things came into the world. And the world, though they saw him, did not know him. He says, but, oh, I'm sorry, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, he saves his children. His children hear his voice. If you're there today and you hear these words, listen to his voice. John 3, 19 through 21, he says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light. That's it right there. It's not that you can't see. It's not that your ears can't hear in the sense of you can't understand the words come out of my lips. On our side, what it is is you hear the truth, but you love your sin more than you love the truth. You see the light of Christ, but you love the darkness more than the light. And so you, you, you pull away from the light and you stay in the darkness. But he goes on to say, because, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. Again, that's what Jesus said at the very end of Matthew. Those, even if you profess his name, those who do wicked things, those who live in darkness, those who live in sin, those who practice disobedience, those are not his children. These men and women in the church were once enlightened, the author is saying. The truth shined upon them. They heard the gospel of the light of Christ. They were in the church and they saw evidence of the spirit at work in the lives of those around them. But because they loved their sin, because they loved darkness, because they loved it more than they loved Christ, they've now become dull and lazy of hearing. What once shines so glorious to them as the love and power of God has now become ordinary, distant, dim, truth that they may agree with theologically but it's not worth acting upon that's a dangerous place to be i've been there and i bet many of you have been there where truths that once seem so glorious become mundane and things that once convicted you so deeply now you listen to and you're like yeah i need to get on that but there's no drive there's no brokenness there's no tears and there's no action. Get out of that place. Second Peter 2, 20 through 21 describes the same group of people this way. It says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the word, world, I'm sorry, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these are people that have left the world because of what they know about Christ. And then it says, they are again entangled in them in the defilements of the world and are overcome the last day has become for them far worse than the first. For it would be better for them. This is scary. Listen to this, guys. It would have been better for them not to have known anything, not to have known the gospel, not to have known about Christ, not to have known any good doctrine, to have never heard the name Jesus Christ and the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. God sent his messengers. He gave them the word. They listened. They responded. And then they left. He says it would have been better. Hell would have been a little less hot and eternity would have been less terrifying if they just never heard. It is a terrifying thing to hear the word of God, the truth of God, to know what he says and then decide, no, 
I'll do it my way. That's a terrifying thing. To be enlightened, but to not walk in the light, to be enlightened and not abide in the light of Jesus Christ is a very, very dangerous way to live in this present existence. Do not do this. The second characteristic of those who are passing through the church on their way to apostasy are those who have tasted the heavenly gift. Tasted here, it just means they've experienced it, they've partaken of it. They've experienced it for themselves. They tasted it, but they didn't consume it. They've sampled it, but they didn't buy it. They heard it, but they didn't believe it. It's like when you go through Costco and you take one of the little samples, you know? You're like, hmm, that's good. And they're like, you can buy one. You're like, I'll be all right. That's it. That's what we do. You hear good truth and you're like, yeah, it's so good. What a great morsel. Then you walk out the door and you're like, all right, back to life. Don't just taste it. The heavenly gift here is the, the gift of Christ. It's the gift of Christ. John three sixteen through 18. For God loved the world, he gave. He gave to us, who? His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't send his son to the world to judge the world, but he sent his son so the world might be saved through him. But then he says, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the son of God. That's it. He gave us the gift of Christ. Those who believe, he saves. Those who do not believe, they will be judged. It's always that simple. Romans 5 talks about this free gift, the gift by the grace of God, the one man, Jesus Christ. He gave the gift of Christ to us and the gift results in justification. So believe. He's the only hope we have. He's the only, the only way to heaven. He's the only one that can justify a sinner. He's the only one that can make a sinner holy. He's the only one that can bring us to God. There is no other path. Your works are nothing. Your works are actually, if, if you know what he says and you want to work your way to him, that, that's a terrifying place to be. You're basically saying, I don't need Christ. I can do this on my own. I got it. And you're going to stand before him one day and that is going to be the most repulsive thing ever to God. You spit on the blood of my son and you want to hand to me your church attendance and your Bible memorization? That is going to be the worst possible thing you can ever do. I always tell my, my youth and my college, well, they probably don't remember, it's been a while, but, but I, always, I always say, it's like our good works are like, a, you know, we write them all on a sheet of paper, we spend our whole life, all this good work, this good work, I did this, I did this, I did this, and you're going to stand before the fire of Christ and hold up your good works and they're gone. And now it's just you and him. And you're a sinner and you don't have his son. That's a terrifying place to be. Don't rely on anything in this life to get you to heaven because nothing in this life will. And definitely don't try to get in there on your own merit. That is an affront to God because he sent his son to die for you. Don't you believe that what Christ did on the cross is enough? If God says it's enough, if Christ says it's enough, believe, believe what he has said. These people are tasting Christ, they're sampling Christ, they're trying Christ, they may even enjoy Christ for a while, but they have not surrendered their will to Christ, they have not surrendered their love and their desire to Christ, and they have not surrendered their allegiance to Christ. And they will benefit from him temporarily in this life, like many do in the church, but they will abandon him, and he will abandon them eternally. Do not taste Christ consume him and be consumed by him it's the the rocky soil and the thorny soil from mark mark four i mean in mark four you know you got the, the parable of, of the the different types of soil that the the farmer throws the seeds out and he says and in Jesus' explanation of this parable he says uh in a similar way these are the ones whom the seed was sowed on in rocky places so here's the rocky or the rocky soil he says when they hear the word they immediately receive it with joy so they heard the word and they were joyful to hear the word, the, the truth of Christ, the salvation that comes from the blood of Christ on the cross. But it says, and they had no firm root in themselves, and they are only temporary. Don't be that, that group of people. Don't be the temporary Christian. And we have temporary Christians in here right now. I, I, was, I was looking back at an old youth roster recently. This is probably a year ago. I was looking back at an old roster to, I can't remember what the purpose was, but it was from like five years ago. And as I looked through the names on that roster, there was, there was probably like almost half of them didn't go to this church anymore. Now, that doesn't mean they're not born again. But then I looked at the half that don't attend this church anymore. Some of them I know where they're at. They're doing good. Some of them I know they've fallen away and they're doing very bad. And some of them I don't know where they are. Don't be in that group. I'm not saying don't, you know, if, if your job causes you to move, that's fine. 
But don't walk away from the people of God, the truth of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, especially after hearing his truth. He goes on to talk about the seed that is, is thrown on, the, uh, on the, the thorny soil. And those are the same thing. They hear the word of God, but it's because of the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire, the desires for other things. They're choked out and the word becomes unfruitful. Don't let the love of this world, the love of the things that we can gain here, the, the, the pleasures of this life, or the, the, the suffering and the hardship that comes from following Christ cause you to fall away from his word. They tasted the gift of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, these people, but they're on the brink of rejecting that gift. And like I said, I, we, we know there's people in this room that you've tasted, you've partaken, you've heard. You may be even joyful. They love reformed Calvinistic theology, you know? But, but if you don't belong to him, then, then you won't be with him. And if you hear the good truth of his word and, and you walk away, then it is a terrifying thing. The third characteristic of those who are passing through the church on the way to apostasy are those who have shared in the Holy Spirit. They've shared in the Spirit. He says it's impossible for those who have shared in the Spirit. Again, shares are those who are associated with him but not possessed by him. These are people who share in the Spirit. Many people share in the Spirit. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, the Bible never speaks of Christians being associated with the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the Holy Spirit being within them. Just being associated with God or associated with his spirit in the sense of trying him, partaking in that sort of sense. That's never how the Bible describes being, uh, belonging to him, being filled by him. They're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They're not part of the new promise or the new covenant. They've shared in his blessings. They're associated with his works. And then there's unbelievers all around us right now that are associated with the works of the spirit. I mean, think about that. If you come to the church and it's a truly spirit-filled church, and the people in the church are being controlled by the spirit, which is what spirit-filled means. And they're loving and patient and kind and gentle and gracious and merciful. And you can sin against them and they'll forgive you every time. And you can take from them and they'll be like, here, you can have some more, you know? And, and you can bail out on them and they'll be like, it doesn't matter. You don't offend me. I love you. I want to share Christ. Those are good people to be around. Who doesn't want to be around that kind of person, you know? You mess up, they're like, it's cool, you know? You offend them, they're like, not a problem, love you. I mean, those are good people to be around. And you may be sharing in the, in the fruits of the spirit of the church even right now. In fact, this church would have shared in, in seeing the, the works of the spirit. I, mean, I don't know which apostle wrote Hebrews. I think it was Paul, but uh, you know, people would disagree with me. But the, the point is, is whether it was Paul or whether it was John or whether it was Barnabas or whoever it was, these apostles have miraculous gifts granted to them by Christ. These apostles were raising the dead. These apostles were speaking in tongues. These apostles were making food. These apostles were doing some pretty miraculous and awesome things by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not happening today, by the way, but it was happening at their time. And if any of these people witnessed God himself, Jesus Christ, doing these miracles, man, they had partaken of and or experienced or, or seen at least works of the Spirit, miraculous works of the Spirit, not just the blessed works that we see that come through the character and the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Christ. So they had, they had been sharers of this stuff. But all of that being said, they're going to they're gonna fall away from it. And that's a terrifying thing. An unregenerate person in the presence of the children of God and the hearing of the Word of God is, is experiencing wonderful things that come from the work of the Spirit in the church. They can even feel guilt over their sin. They can even feel a desire to escape the flames of hell. They can have that, that thing in them that says, I need salvation, but never truly be born again because they're unwilling to forsake their idols, their lusts, and their life, right? Christ said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Some are like, I want Jesus, but I don't want that. Well, you can't. You can't have both. Either you give him all or you keep it all for yourself and you face him after death. Those are the only two choices we have. Do not forsake the calling and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Fourth characteristic, those who are passing through the church on their way to apostasy are those who have tasted the good word of God. He says it's impossible for those who have tasted the good word of God. Again, they sampled it, they experienced it, they tried it. The word sounds good to them. 
but, but they're not submitting to it. It reminds me of, of the, the people of Israel that came to listen to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33. I don't know if you've ever read that story, but listen to what it says. Ezekiel 33, 33, 33. God talking to Ezekiel says, but as for you, son of man, Ezekiel, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and by the doorways of the houses, they speak to one another. He says, and each of them say to one another, come, let us go and hear what message has come forth from the Lord. In other words, they're saying, hey, let's go listen to Ezekiel. I mean, Ezekiel said a lot of stuff at this point and all of it has come true. So obviously he's proven himself to be a prophet. Then these people are like, let's go hear the word of God. We can hear God speak through this man. And so they want to go. They desire to go in here. And he says, they come to you as people come. They sit before you as my people. They say they're mine. They hear your words, but look, it's the same thing. They hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their own gain. They love to hear it. I want to hear God's word. But then you do nothing about it. And you live for your own personal gain and you live for your desires, for your lusts. He says, behold, you, Ezekiel, are like to them, or like, uh, to them you are a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. In other words, ah, he's such a, such a wonderful speaker. He speaks the prophecies of God. He's foretold the fall of Jerusalem and it happened. And, you know, it'd be like, like John MacArthur, you like John Piper, you like R.C. Sproul, one of these guys, you're just like, man, that guy, when he speaks, God speaks. That guy, his presence, I mean, you feel it. I want to go and hear those men. I want to go and hear Shane Kohler preach. I want to go and hear the word of God proclaimed. And then you hear it, and it's like a, a beautiful song. Yes, truth. Yes, reformed. But then you do nothing to submit to the words that you are so, so drawn to, to forsake your lusts and your desires and your idols and your life in obedience to Jesus Christ. The reason those words are so pleasant is because they are the words of God who sustains your life right now. And he's calling to you to listen and obey, to listen and submit, to repent, because today is the day of repentance, and today is the day of salvation. Don't listen to them as if they're beautiful and then walk out the door and treat them as if they're worthless. Believe what he has said. The fifth characteristic of those who are passing through the church on their way to apostasy are those who have tasted the power of the future age. This is what we just sang about. We just did it. Tasting the power of the future age. Again, sampling it, being like, I cannot wait for the return of Jesus Christ. The millennial kingdom, can you imagine the, you know, peace between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom and, and righteousness reigns on earth and peace reigns on earth and Jesus is gonna put Satan into hell for a thousand years and then after that, eternal, the, the eternal kingdom with the new heavens and then, oh man, it's so wonderful, I can't wait until that day. But the thing is, is are you gonna see that day? Are you gonna be part of the group that is destroyed so that day can be a reality? That's... That's what you've got to wrestle with. Those who are part of that day that we just sang about are those who listen to his words and obey. Those who listen to his words and submit to him. Those who listen to the words that he is king and Christ, Messiah, judge, and savior, and they submit to him, and they run to the very one that should judge their soul, and they beg for mercy, and he saves them by the blood that he shed on the cross. That, those are the people they're going to be part of that day. But many, many sing of that day. Many, I mean, who wouldn't want that? No evil, no lying, no deceit. Everything's awesome. We, anyone would want that. But you have to understand the only way we will have that is to destroy sin and sinners. And guess what boat we're all in? The sin and sinner boat. So the very one that will destroy us, we must run to and beg for forgiveness and say, I am an offense to you. I deserve your wrath, but I know you sent your son. Please, Father, forgive me, and please make me your own. That's what a believer does. The path to apostasy passes through the church. It is so dangerous to see his truth, to try Jesus Christ, to associate with the spirit, to sample his word, to taste his return, and not submit in obedience and loyal love. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come, and listen, 
and then, after all that, have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. The second part of this warning is do not reject his great salvation. Do not neglect his revelation. Do not reject his salvation. For those passing through the church and then fall away, it is impossible again to renew them to repentance. To fall away means to forsake him, to commit apostasy. It's, it's, it's done by the person that has heard these things. It's not losing your salvation, that's impossible. John 10, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Those who hear his voice come to him. They, he gives them eternal life. They never perish. No one will snatch them out of his hand. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. There are many truths in the Bible. In Romans 8, 28 through 30, we know that all things work together for good to those who uh, love God, those who are called according to his purpose. The ones he foreknew, he predestined. What did he predestine them for? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's the path of every Christian. You must be and will be because God is faithful and he cannot lie or exaggerate. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. So if you're not, don't lie against the truth and say it's his fault. That's your fault. Submit to the truth and believe in him. He does not lose any of his children. There is not a single child of God from Adam until the very last born-again person is, is, is taken to him that he will ever miss. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every person, he has never missed a single one. But if you, if you don't, don't, or you uh, reject his great salvation, that is on you. God loses none of his sheep, but many professing Christians fall short of his salvation and fail to enter. Anyone who is alive in here and has lived, I don't know, any amount of time on this, this earth, I bet if you're 15, you probably know people like this. If you're 35, you know a lot of people like this. If you're 75, I bet you can name, in a, I mean, you could write a book about all the people that you know who once professed to be Christians and have now fallen away from the faith and are either one, you know, quasi-religious at this point or complete apostate denying that the things they once believed were true. You, you can see it every day. Many people fall away. Hebrews 4 warns us. He says, let us fear. This is for us. Listen, let us fear. Why? While a promise remains for entering his rest, which it does, right? Today, there is a promise. It still remains. You can enter the rest of God. You can enter into the kingdom of God. You can have eternal life with Christ. But let us fear. Why? If any one of of us or of you seem to have come short of it, listen, there should be a terror in all of us. You never want to fall short of heaven, falls short of eternal life. For indeed, listen, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, speaking of Israel. So in the same way Israel heard the truth, you've now heard the truth. He says, but the word they heard did not profit them. Why did it not profit them? Why did they not enter into his eternal rest? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard it. It remains for some to enter, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of their disobedience. If you hear the words, but you don't believe and you don't act on them and you don't obey and submit to him because you don't believe that what he says is going to happen is going to happen, then you will not enter his rest. So he's saying, don't be that. There's still a a hope for you. There's still a promise remaining for you. Eternal life is before you. Believe in Christ and follow him. He says, it is impossible for those who have fallen away impossible to be renewed again to repentance. Just like in Hebrews 6, it's impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 10, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hebrews 11, it's impossible for those without faith to please God. And just like the disciples, when they asked Jesus, who can be saved? He said, it is impossible with man. But with God, all things are impossible. The only thing that becomes impossible is when God says it's impossible. And today he says it is impossible for those who have heard the truth of God and experienced all these things and then fall away from him to be renewed again to that place of repentance. If that does not give you chills, if that does not terrify you, there is something wrong. Even for a true, faithful, born-again believer, we hear those words and we say, yes, sir, I'm going nowhere near that stuff. Get as far away from this world and the lust of this world and the deceits of this world as you possibly can. Get as far from hypocrisy as you possibly can. 
live in honesty and truthfulness and love, submitting to Jesus Christ. Get away from sin, from laziness. Obey him. He says it's impossible. When God says something is impossible, it's utterly and completely impossible. And that's terrifying. Listen to this, guys. This is what's scary. In every apostate's life, there comes a time where repentance becomes impossible. I cannot discern that. You cannot discern that. But the Lord knows. And that should be scary. Do not play with God. And do not play with the evil of this world. To renew them to repentance means just restore, to bring them back to the place of repentance. Imagine that. You could be on the brink of losing the opportunity to repent. Hebrews 12 talks about Esau, you know, uh, giving up his, his birthright. And then after giving it up, he desired to inherit a blessing, but he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, even though he sought it with tears. That's scary. That's sad. To get past the point of repentance and then to want it so bad that you're begging for it with tears, but you find no place for it because it's impossible. And again, you can't ever stand in judgment of someone else and say they've passed that brink, that point. I mean, think about Paul. Think about Manasseh, the king of Israel, who was one of the most wicked men that ever lived on this planet, and he repented. And Lord willing, we'll see him in heaven. I mean, it looks like it from the Bible to me. Anybody can be born again. Any person can be saved, except for those who reject Christ. But if you think about it, every person who's ever rejected Christ and sat in the church at some point heard the gospel for the last time, felt conviction for the last time, felt the word of God impact them as powerful and truth and love for the last time. And at some point, it happens over time, there's a hardening and they walk away. And if you do that, it says here that you re-crucify Christ and you publicly shame him again. You do what we did 2,000 years ago. Again. Not some weird spiritual way. It's just saying, you stand with the crucifiers. You stand with the Jews that rejected him the first time. And he will reject you when he comes back. I mean, go read the account of the crucifixion. Matthew 27. It says the chief priests, the elders, the crowds, they asked for a Barabbas. They said, put Jesus to death. The governor, Pilate, said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, why? An unbelieving Roman official says, why? What has he done? And they kept shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they spat in his face, they beat him with their fists, they slapped him, they mocked him, they insulted him, they scourged him, and they crucified him. Who did this? Those who claimed to belong to his father. Who did this? Those who knew and taught his word. Who did this? Those who experienced his presence and his miracles and watched his power. Who did this? Those who claimed to be a part of his kingdom and those who said they were chosen by his sovereign will. Who did this? Those who said they were waiting for his coming and he did come and they murdered him. If you hear his truth and you walk away from him, you stand wholeheartedly with the crucifiers. And that ought to make you tremble and cry. I don't want to be in that group. I want to be right next to him, clinging to him. And I know you do. I know you do, right? Don't you want to be his? If so, Listen to what his word says. Hebrews 3, 7 through 19 says it this way. Just as the Holy Spirit says, today, 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 if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when the Israelites provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me. They saw my works for 40 years 
Therefore, I was angry with this generation. I said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what's the message to us? Take care, brethren. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you, any of us, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another. We must encourage one another. Day after day, as long as it is still called today, every day that is called today is the day for us to encourage one another. Do not fall away from him. And today just happens to be today. Today, encourage one another. Do not fall away from him. It says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Guys, I need your encouragement. I need you to remind me, stay strong, stay on the path. Do not forsake him. Listen to his word, submit to his word. And you need me. All of us need one another. Christ's grace gifts the church what the church needs according to his judgment and his knowledge, everything we need to work together properly for the edification of the saints and to go out and to find our brethren who are in this world and are still in the darkness. And we must encourage one another. If you are an active part of the body of Christ and you must be encouraging me and I'm encouraging you and we must remind each other as long as today is called today, do not fall away from the faith. As long as today is called today, then today is the day of repentance and today is the day of salvation. Today is that day. He says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He says in Hebrews 4, since it remains for some to enter, who formerly had good news preached to them, they failed to enter because of disobedience. He fixes a certain day today. Isn't that crazy? Every day you're alive is that certain day. Today is the day. But you cannot, you cannot expect tomorrow to be another day for you for two reasons. First, you're not guaranteed to physically live tomorrow, right? You may not be alive tomorrow so that you have a chance to repent tomorrow. But what's scarier than that is that you are alive tomorrow. You are alive tomorrow and God deems it impossible for you to repent. That's scarier. Today is the day of repentance and today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to forsake your sin, to forsake this world and to forsake your life, to forsake your desires and to cling to Christ, today is that day. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. But how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of his covenant that he shed on the cross by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? Do not insult the Holy Spirit. Do not trample underfoot the blood of the son of God. Today is the day of salvation. He says, for we know him, we know God, we know the one who has said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. Again, he says, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Today is the day of repentance. The good news is this is not all of us. The good news is this is only some of us in this room. The author of Hebrews goes on to say right after this warning, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. And I think we have the hope, that hope here. We are convinced and we hope and as our desire that this is not the majority in this room. But we know for sure that it is some at least, but Lord willing, not the majority. He says in the things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way, I mean, we're speaking some, some very terrifying things. He says, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work 
and the love that you have shown towards his name, having ministered and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. That's the hope that every one of you, all of us in this room, collectively and individually, show the same diligence and realize the full assurance of hope until the very end, so that, for this reason, that you will not be lazy, dull, sluggish, and you will be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherited his promises. That's it. Guys, today is the day. Encourage one another as long as today is called today. Persevere help one another, admonish one another, love one another, submit to Jesus Christ, follow him to the very end, but forsake the things that will separate you from him eternally. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for all of the wonderful instruction and encouragement, the hope of heaven the hope of Christ's return, the truths and the promises that come from your word that remind us that it is by the blood of your son that we're saved and those who believe in him are born again. The promises that remind us that he will sanctify all those who belong to him, that he will change us and transform us into the image of Christ. The hope of knowing that you are sovereignly in control of all things and do all things for the good of your children, the glory of your son, that you do all things in perfect love and perfect patience and kindness and gentleness and graciousness and mercy We are in the hands of a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Father and God. But we pray, Father, for any of those who who these words do apply, who are sitting in the church and passing on their way, heading down a path that heads only to apostasy and then to eternal destruction. Lord, that these words would resonate and revive and lead to repentance. Father, it's only by your grace that we can be saved through faith in the blood of the Son, of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would save every soul in this room, that we would love you, honor you, please you, follow you, and remain with you to the very end because of your your wonderful grace and your wonderful power and love. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.